We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody, Steve with Sense for the Alien. Coming at you for a long time uh, uh, hiatus, but now with Dr. Mark McDonald of the uh, United States, for my English-speaking people, United States of Fear. Not to be uh, confused with the United Kingdom's version of the Fear book. So there's Fear books coming everywhere, and I feel like I've read them all almost. But Dr. McDonald, thank you for writing this, and welcome to the, thank you for joining Hi, Steve. Great to be here. Fear is a big topic, so it's easy to get confused now who's writing what. <laughs> I think it was John Adams that said something about fear is like the key for a government to exist or something like this. Uh, <laughs> That's <so>, frightening. <laughs> yes. It's like war is what feeds the government. Fear is what it's needed. Uh, mm. So how are you in uh, California? I just saw Magic Johnson hanging with Gruesome Newsome and... Uh, I wonder if Magic took the uh, took the injection because he was so much against the uh, the AIDS drug. But how how is the uh, the environment out there in California? Well, I just uh, woke up this morning to see uh, a shocking actual uh, actually newspaper article in uh, the local paper that was quoting one of the LA County supervisors, uh, Catherine Berger, who's the only Republican in the nonpartisan supposedly nonpartisan five person LA County board. And she was criticizing strongly, which is unusual even for her, the hypocrisy that Eric Garcetti, the LA mayor, uh, Gavin Newsom, the California governor, and London Breed, the San Francisco mayor, all showed in the last couple of days when they were at this big sporting event, I think it was in SoFi Stadium, the new stadium here in LA, uh, taking selfies with Magic Johnson without their masks on. And she said, Look, it's clear that the people who are instituting these mandates in California, they don't follow them and they don't believe in them. And we've known that since the French laundry debacle with Governor Newsom uh, over a year ago that I thought would lead to his, his recall, successful recall, and unfortunately it didn't. And she said, Catherine Berger said, it's time for us here in L.A. County to end the mask mandates. I was absolutely shocked. <laughs> Uh, because every bureaucrat, every politician in California has been on the bandwagon for continuing this nonsense, indoor and outdoor mask mandates indefinitely. I mean, they're now requiring all of the public school children in L.A. County who attend public schools to wear N95 masks outdoors the entire time they're at school. And yet these clowns can go to football, basketball, uh, uh any type of sporting event with thousands of people and walk around with their mask dangling over their ears, taking them off because it's Magic Johnson. Oh, I felt the movement of the music, which is what London Breed said in San Francisco at Tony, Tony, Tony. So therefore in the club, I can take it off and go dancing. And then she had the gall to say afterwards when she was criticized, you know, I think some of these rules are just a little excessive. And, and the interviewer just froze. He, he, he could just see his face and he was thinking, wait a minute, 
look in the mirror. You're the one that created these mayor breed. You're the one that started this. You're the one that said every human being over the age of five going into a store in San Francisco has to show a vaccine card to get into the store and wear a mask. Where are you? Where's your brain? So my point of all of this is that, yes, things are awful. Things are, are absolutely Looney Tunes here in California still and in Los Angeles where I live and work. But there are signs that even those who are not on the fringe, people who are you know kind of in the middle of things, not all that political, maybe even supporting some of the reduction of liberties, are starting to, to get weary and tired and frustrated with this. And they're starting to see the not just the inutility of it, but also the damage it's causing to the public in terms of psychological distress, economic decline, anger. A lot of Democrats now, because I have Democrats in my practice, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I see um, children, uh, young adults, as well as adults in my practice for emotional problems. Many of them come from Santa Monica. Many of them are Democrat. Many of them were sort of even you know, left-leaning Democrats, and they're all sick and tired of it. They all see that this is really um, all a lie. Everything that they've been told has been uh, dishonest. They're being controlled um, and not controlled by Republicans. They're being controlled by the people they voted for. So I don't mean to make this political, but it, but it is political because the Democrat Party is essentially using this and has been using this, this viral pandemic as an excuse for two years to clamp down on freedoms and liberties and to inculcate a pandemic of fear which is a subject of my book, United States of Fear, so that they can aggrandize power and take over. And not at the expense of Republicans, at the expense of their own constituents. And that's why those who voted Democrat are starting to rise up and starting to speak out. And I think they fed up. And that's really hopeful, Stephen, because I think in 2022, unlike 2021, which I, I consider sort of the year of fear, I'm seeing 2022 as an opportunity to recover from fear, to move forward which is a subject of my next book, Recovery from Fear or Freedom from Fear, haven't decided on the title yet, a 12-step program to an individual and national recovery modeled after AA and Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Because I think that now is the time for people to step aside from their entrenched political positions and to come together as Americans. And for those who are Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, to look around and say, you know what? The space that divides us, the space between all of our little subgroups is a hell of a lot smaller than the space between all of us and the leftists over there that are running the show. It's amazing when you see like uh, Bill Maher, for example, call this out. I mean, trash is he's a Democrat. I think he is. And he calls them out for being basically fit. They said it was going to be 50 percent uh, going to the hospital when it was like two because they're not even using the facts, much less, quote unquote, science. Completely correct. Bill Maher is a great example. There are so many uh, avowed, devote, anti-conservative, anti-Republican, liberal Democrats who are not leftists, but they're definitely heading in that direction, who are actually now speaking out and uh, exposing the lies and demanding that the people that they used to support either reform their ideas, their corrupt ideas, or they step down from the podium and let real people, real leaders uh, emerge and start to take over again. I, at the beginning of all this, I was one of those that went, all right, let me check it out for the first, the whole two weeks of Flanagan Curve thing. Let's sit back, see what's going on. And then after watching that, we would have the local TV news stations on and saying four people died today and they're losing their minds. And you're going to scratch your head looking, 
why there's more people that died driving today than four people why are they making this a, a big thing i went to a, a place to get a meatball sub the, uh, that year in 2020 about i don't know february march and the lady told me hey wash your hands or you're gonna die literally she goes i'll see you at your funeral we had zero deaths in the entire county at that time how did this get into the people's mindset of just hey we're at the uh we're at where the plague meets the bubonic plague meets the Spanish flu, and we're just going to die because we breathe in air. How did that happen? Well, I saw it happening very early on in my practice in Los Angeles before I began speaking and writing, before I published United States of Fear, well before I started my podcast with Dr. Jeff Barkey, Informed Dissent, uh -huh. the intersection of healthcare and politics, which all arose out of a desire to explain to Americans how we got there. How did this happen? And then to some degree to try to encourage and educate those who are misinformed and believe it and who are living in fear, some pathway out, a pathway forward. You know, it's sort of like medicine. First, you have to observe what's going on in the patient. Then you have to diagnose it. Then you have to offer a treatment plan. So I was observing at the beginning what was going on. Something is, something is really strange. People are running around with masks on their faces who are completely healthy. People who are young and have no reason to be concerned about their physical safety or worried they're gonna die of a respiratory infection that isn't hurting people who aren't in nursing homes. That's pretty strange. And people are saying, you know what? If I catch this virus, I'm gonna die because there's no way to treat it. Really? When in history, in modern history anyway, in the United States, have we had a disease that has absolutely no treatment? This is a little strange. So those three lies, those started to get me wondering, maybe this isn't really just about an emotional response on the part of the people driven by ignorance. Maybe, maybe there are actual forces at play, organized, conscious, directed, thoughtful forces that are actively conspiring to use this viral pandemic to help themselves at our expense. That was my hypothesis. And it bore out and it's still bearing out even today. I, I think it's actually irrefutable at this point that we've been lied to for two years by three, primarily three groups of people, politicians, large corporations, and media. And you'd think, well, what do they have to do with one another? They're all independent, right? I mean, the government doesn't own corporations. We're not a communist country. Media don't kneel down to the politicians. We're not Soviet Union with Pravda. And yet that's exactly what's happening. Conservatives, Republicans have been yelling from the rooftops, communism, communism for a long time. We're being taken over by communists. That's, that's largely true. But what's happened in the last two years has actually been something a little different than just a government takeover of the country like you saw in the Soviet Union or you saw in China. What's actually happening now is, is more insidious. It's actually more of a fascist takeover, meaning government is not nationalizing corporations. Government didn't come in and say, we own Amazon now, all of you work for us. No, they didn't do that. What government did, what Joe Biden and his henchmen did is they told businesses, you can't stay open unless you're Amazon. So if you run a small business, if you're just a family-owned shop somewhere selling hardware, selling drugs, selling uh, little food supplies, you can't stay open. 
But national pharmacy chains can stay open. National hardware stores can stay open. Alcohol liquor shops can stay open. Pot shops can stay open. Of course, churches have to close. If you run a major retail outlet, a large corporation, you're golden. You don't have to do anything differently. And so they protected, the government protected these large corporations from competition. And then once all of the competition was forced to declare bankruptcy, Amazon basically developed and enabled and ensured a monopoly over all products, of course, of course, mailed, because you don't have to go to the store, to your home for perpetuity. Amazon achieved a $1 billion gross per day, the first time any corporation in U.S. history achieved that right after all the stores closed. That's the fascist collusion between government and corporations. And then you look at media. Well, why do the media have to report to the politicians? I mean, yeah, they're all Democrat leaning, so of course they're going to support them. It's No, it's much more than that. It's about regulations. It's about government encouraging, allowing, supporting, defending media in censorship and in attacking and deplatforming and canceling any views, any views whatsoever that challenge or criticize the party line in Washington. The word misinformation now means I have a differing opinion. That's all that it means, all that it means. And when the one-sided censorship and cancellation occurs, the federal government doesn't step in and say, whoa, 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 you're being partisan there. You have to allow all voices to speak or you have to censor them equally. No, the government says, yeah, that's, that's about right, domestic terrorism. He said he wants to take ivermectin, put him in jail, take away his license, ban the prescriptions. But if he wants to provide, I don't know, Percocet, 10,000 pills to the local community and addict everyone and into poverty, that's completely fine because that makes a lot of money for the pharmacy corporations that produce the OxyContin. This is so obviously corrupt that anybody who receives even a small amount of news can tell. So government, media, corporations, all three working together, all three dedicated to patting each other on the back, washing each other's hands at the expense of the American people. And because media is controlling the message, Americans never got wind of what was happening. And they were told by all three groups, you have to stay at home, you have to wear a mask, you're all gonna die, follow our orders, and in exchange, you will be kept safe. And Americans swallowed that, they bought into it, and even to this day, late January, actually February 1st, 2022, we are still largely following that narrative with some cracks, which I'm happy to report, but largely following that narrative and believing that all of this is real. This, is, this, this Stephen, is how I think we, we got to where we are. Yeah, I was one of those uh, weirdos that watched the Event 201. I actually did it twice, once at the beginning and then another time six months later went telling my office mate at a time, dude, you gotta listen to this. This is what's happening right now. They told us what's going on. The misinformation in segment four, getting uh, uh, people you trust to promote the fear, pe preaching from the pulpit, fear. I literally heard that and was ready just to pull the hair I have left all, uh, remaining off my head. Um, <laughs> not the narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, are you how familiar that are you with that? And do you see that a little bit with letting people out? Kind of you know the abuse that you get from the uh, the abuser letting them have a little bit more freedom, pulling them back after so often and letting them back out, pulling them back and risk repeat type deal. Is that, well, am I, think I off on that a little bit or no? I think you're a little off only in the sense that 
you know, all politicians are narcissists. There's no president that's not narcissistic. You'd have to be full of yourself to want to even run for office, much less obtain and maintain the office. There's no humble president. And I don't think we need a humble president. Um, I don't mind the narcissism to some point, but when the narcissism becomes devoid of, of value, internal self-values, and when it's mixed with a kind of, um, how would I put it, a, a, a sort of a, a sociopathy, really, a kind of lack of conscience, then I think you have the makings for a real disaster. Uh, Gavin Newsom, for example, I, I think he's incredibly narcissistic. I don't think he's a sociopath, but I don't think he really cares much about other people at all. Um, I also don't think that he's very smart. I think he's clever, but I don't think he's very smart. And he's done a lot of harm to the state. Now you look at someone like Anthony Fauci. He's also a narcissist, but I believe that Anthony Fauci is a sociopath. I believe he has knowingly intentionally murdered hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people since the AIDS crisis all the way up through today. Uh, and if you want to look for data to back that up, all you have to do is turn to the real Anthony Fauci by RFK Jr. published yeah. earlier last year. This is not really debatable. This is not my you know, psychiatric assessment of the man. This is just my conclusion as a citizen, as a reader of information, that the access to knowledge of the harm, the damage, the death that this man has caused, is, is it's so easily obtained by him that for him to continue down this path for two decades leaves me with no other conclusion except the man doesn't care about human life. He only cares about managing himself, his reputation, his power, and his money. That man is highly, highly dangerous. He's also not elected, so you can't get rid of him unless you have politicians fire him. And the politicians, of course, work hand in glove with him. So we have a, a, a sick uh, confluence of narcissism along with um, budding sociopathy along with opportunity, meaning the opportunity to take advantage of a crisis. And then on top of that, we have sort of a lack or loss of controls and balance of power and um, uh, equitable measures to uh, check and balance different uh, areas of our government. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the corruption of our voting system and the impossibility really now of having a free and fair election just about anywhere in the country. And all of that came together in the last two years. And the result of it has been, I mean, I think really the, the biggest transition or transfer of power from the people over to a cabal of very sick, very corrupt, um, very unaccountable human beings who in, in, a, in, in their small number of hands uh, have more money and more power than any group of people in, uh, in human history. Yeah, when Fauci says, I am the science, you kind of go back like, whoo, that's kind of a bold statement. It is very bold. It is, it is, a, it is a, a ripe example of, of complete out-of-control narcissism coupled with, as I said, the sociopathy, lack of conscience. Another, uh, I guess you could say, part of the perfect storm is, uh, as you put in the book, the problem with the females right now and the masculinity of men. How how do you? I was worried about that with my wife at the beginning because she's kind of a, neat, a clean freak in a sense. The whole family is. Thankfully, I was able to turn her around at the beginning of this. Going, you're not wearing this muzzle. That doesn't work. We don't have to. We don't have to disinfect everything. I know people that 
would disinfect their mail and leave it outside for three days thinking that did something before they came in. You bring up a great one when I was reading it going, just like shaking my head like this. going, Dude, he's just nailing it right on the money. Men didn't have the guts to tell women to calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Something simple like that. Steve, you just gave a good example in your personal life of how a man should respond to a hysterical leaning woman. I don't mean to accuse your wife of being hysterical, but all women are more emotionally driven than men. And they do trend towards hysteria when there is a strong threat, a strong fear, and there's no masculine presence or containment. That's where they trend. You can keep them from going there in most cases by expressing masculinity, by expressing courage, strength, leadership, calming them down, offering concrete, uh, measurable uh, actions and plans that will protect them and keep them safe. Most women will test you intentionally to see if you can actually back that up and then they will back off and then they'll relax. That's what most women will do. But but it requires a strong man to encourage that and to encourage that retrenchment back into a state of calm and protection. Think of um, uh, children when they act out uh, and they feel distressed to their parent. They will test their parents and they will sometimes throw tantrums, not because they believe that they're going to win, at least not at, not at the beginning. They do it to see if their parent can stand up to them, if their parent can contain them, if their parent can say, you know what, I understand that you're upset right now. I can see that you're in distress, but what you want is not healthy for you. And I am going to make the rational decision, the decision of the parent to do what's right, even though it upsets you. And then... Generally speaking, a state of calm and, and a feeling of security will ensue. So I, I know people are going to call in or write in and say, oh, he's telling us that women are like children. No, I'm not saying that they're like children, but I'm saying on an emotional level, there is, there is a need in a relationship for women to be constantly testing men. And it's not a bad thing, actually. They do need to test men because the women need to know if the man can actually be there for her when all things go south. I had a woman who I spoke with from Canada about a year and a half ago who was a sergeant in the local police department. And she's a pretty tough woman and she can protect herself. But of course she wants to be around men who are strong as well. And she said, when I leave my house in the morning and I see these buff guys with gun racks and tats and camo in their, in their trucks driving around and I see them wearing a mask, it doesn't make me feel safe. And the reason why it doesn't make her feel safe is that if and when a real threat arose, a real, like not, not a virus, but a real threat, like a, like a war, you know, contingent of, of, of vampires descending on them from the forest, she said, what would happen? What would they do? Well, I know that guy with the mask on, he would turn and run and leave me in the ditch. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't feel safe. It's not because I'm afraid of the stupid virus. I'm afraid of being abandoned under real stress conditions by the man that hasn't shown himself to be a man when there was just a small hint, a small little wrinkle in the fabric of safety and uh, normalcy in our society. So this is a big, big deal. This is not a small, small issue. And I'm not attacking women, I'm not attacking men. I'm attacking the, uh, the grinding down, the, uh, the, the, the disinformation, the um, massive uh, kidnapping of language 
that's been going on the last few years to allow men to believe that they should be more feminine and less masculine and to allow women to believe that they should somehow take over the vacuum that men have left behind when they abandon their masculine roles. This is wrong. It's destructive for both men and women. I see it in my practice. I see it in the disarray of anxiety and depression and loneliness and isolation of the teens and 20s generation that don't know what to do. They don't know where they are. They don't know who they are, where they're going to go. I see it all day long. This is a bigger problem than this virus, and it's going to persist way beyond the pandemic. I see many. I'm in, I'm in North Carolina in the South. Everyone's got big trucks, and I see that all the time. Somebody getting out of a gigantic GMC, and the first thing they're doing is they're pulling a muzzle out of their And I'm just, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? <laughs> it, it takes everything out of me if not to walk up to them and just go, come on, man, wake up. It's a big problem. This, this preceded the virus. It's going gonna, it's gonna to exist and persist long after the virus is gone. And the reason why it's here, the reason why it's um, why it's still going on is that the, the powers that I just described earlier about the government, the media, the corporations, they benefit off of this. They benefit off of having weak men and hysterical women, the Karens running around, put on your mask, put on your mask. They benefit from that because guess what happens when men are weak and women are hysterical? They don't come together. They don't have strong relationships. They don't marry. They don't have children. They don't develop families. Without families, you don't have a community that turns to its own members for support. You don't have churches. You don't have Boy Scouts. You don't have civic organizations. You don't have anything that is solid at a local level. Nothing. There is no community left. You don't have a parent-child bond. You don't have authority for a parent to say, this is my child. I get to decide what goes into his or her body, not you. Not the unelected, unaccountable bureaucrat at the school health clinic giving out hot dogs in exchange for shots. This is my child. My child does not belong to you, nor does my child belong to your ideology, your critical race theory nonsense, your 1619 anti-Americanism uh, propaganda. I get to instruct my child on values. I get to instruct my child on health. Government right now does not want that because that is a threat. As soon as a community becomes strong, that community threatens the powers at the top. If you're not worried about God, but you're worried about Joe Biden and his henchmen from the FBI, you're going to become more compliant. You're going to become more sheep-like. You're going to go along to get along. You're going to ultimately become fearful of the government and dependent on it. And so the end state of all of this, the anti-man, anti-woman propaganda and cultural uh, derision that we're going through. The end goal of this, I believe, is a state of dependency on government so that everyone is single, living in a government-controlled apartment, driving a government vehicle without their own fuel or power, relying on a far distant nationalized police force to protect them because they can't carry a firearm, using solar energy that turns on and off when the government wants it to because you're not allowed to have your own generators and you're not allowed to even use your own electricity. You're not allowed to have your children in your own home to school them. They have to go to the government schools. You're not allowed to go to church, but you can go to the liquor shop and the pot shop and get doped up. This is the end game and the end goal for federal government right now. The entire country turned into this kind of urban jungle so that we have nobody else to look after us except the government. This is, I know this is a, a, a kind of a big statement for me to make, and it's really far afield from pandemic hysteria, but I think that 
the reason why it's so important to understand is that this will end. This, this too shall pass, this pandemic, the pandemic of the virus, the pandemic of fear. But if we don't address the underlying root causes, as the Democrats like to say all the time, root causes, if we don't address those, then we are going to see this rebooted 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 again and again and again. And we're going to slowly continue to lose our liberties and our freedoms and our way of life. And we are going to turn into a country very similar to communist China. They've kind of hinted at that with the uh, Gates coming out with just last week or how there'll be another variant coming in. There was a Australia's coming out with another variant five hours ago. And uh, yeah, it's a good. You go with the whole litany you brought up. That sounds like I know Schwab didn't say it. It's on the WF site. You are own nothing and you'll be happy. And what's coming down at the end game is the digital currency. Well, they'll track and monitor and allow you to buy or purchase according to their will, which you needed the virus to scare the people in the muzzles, the muzzles to scare the people in the digital uh, passports, passports eventually gets to the digital currency. Correct. Hey, my hill was the first hill. I, I was on the first hill to die. My body's long ago, uh, the first 15 days to fly in the curve series. Uh, fear in a sense of standing up. Can you explain that a little bit, how people should not fear speaking out? So in, the, in my book, United States of Fear, I describe largely three themes. One is how we got here. I already talked about that. The roles of men and women, which I just spoke about as well. And then moving forward, how do we get out of this? I believe that one of the most important points for Americans to understand in terms of how do we move forward? What do I do to overcome my fear is to understand this. You may be afraid to stand up, to come out of the closet as a free thinker. It's easier to come out of the closet now as a transgendered non-binary than it is to come out as a conservative <laughs> or a free thinker. Who knew we would get to that point? <laughs> but you're afraid that if you come out of the closet ideologically, intellectually, that you will be isolated that you will be ostracized, that you'll be canceled, that you will lose everything and you'll be all alone. What you don't realize is that even though a small number of people are going to attack you or going to turn against you, you might have a couple of weeks of nasty email and people saying, I don't wanna be your friend anymore. And how could you say something, all that nonsense, mostly from people who are weak, Certainly not from people who are free thinkers, because free thinkers would never do that. They would say, well, I disagree with you, but I respect your opinion. No, all only from people who are not free thinking and weak. Those are the people that are going to turn against you. And those are people that, thank goodness, you now realized weren't real friends to begin with. After that couple of weeks, you are going to see a much larger number of people who you've never met before, or perhaps people that you knew that were very quiet, step forward and say, you know what? I agree with you. I feel the same way. And this is what I'm doing to help fight back. Will you join me? And these people are going to be fearless. These people are going to be clear thinkers, free thinkers. They're going to have access to resources, even if it's just other people, if not money and influence and power. And they're going to be people of integrity, people who will stand up even when the heat goes, goes really high. And they are gonna become your friends, your colleagues, uh, your uh, co-activists, whatever role that you wanna take on. 
And they will far, far, far more than compensate for the losers that abandoned you, for the turncoats that that went against you when the going got tough and you became a, a, a man or woman of integrity. And I want to say this to you, not as a as an intellectual idea. This I'm speaking from personal experience. This happened to me, and it happened to others before me who told me the same thing. And I went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I don't want to be like you. Everybody hates you. Well, you know what? It doesn't really matter too much if a few people hate you when you get a larger number of people that write in that you've you've never heard from. You've never met these people before. And they call and they leave you three-minute messages or two-page emails or they write you letters from Northern Ireland, eight pages long, and send you copies of their book and say, thank you so much for speaking about what I've been feeling the last 18 months. Thank you. This happened to me. It's never happened to me before in my life. And this is what keeps me going. This is what keeps my, my ship sailing in the right direction, knowing from the reflection back from people who are respectful and respectable people that I'm, I'm saying the right things, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. And the people that are coming sideways at me, um, I don't even give them the time of day anymore. It does not matter to me. So please keep that in mind. When you're afraid, when you say, I just don't want to speak out, I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want to risk anything, know that yes, you're risking something, but it's a small something. And what you're going to get back is so much greater. Because if you don't risk something now, if you don't risk a little bit now, I guarantee you, you are going to lose everything eventually. Absolutely everything. And you're going to have nobody around to help support you. Yeah, with what's coming down the pipe, you don't stand up now when you when you plan on standing up. Good question. When? When is it going to be? At what point do you say no? What mandate, what order, what incursion of your body, your mind, your basic rights are you willing to say no to? Where does it stop? Did it stop with social distancing? Apparently not. What about masks? No. What about guided mandates on vaccines? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Really, what about forced injections of your children without your consent, without your knowledge? Are, is, that, is that enough for you? Apparently not. Where does it stop? If you don't have a stopping point, if you don't have a line in the sand, then you are owned by the government, period. Yeah, because that's not too far off to say that, say down the road that you have a baby in the hospital, you might not be able to leave without, with that baby unless he gets jabbed. They're already doing it in local hospitals in Los Angeles. You cannot enter the hospital without showing a vaccine card. You cannot attend the birth of your child without a vaccine card in hospitals here in Los Angeles. And some hospitals will not allow you, in New York I know this is the case, to take the baby home unless the baby has received a shot. Wow. This is insane. This is absolutely crazy. And it's already here. It's already arrived. As I know they're trying to do the, uh, I guess, the uh, emergency act for five months old. I didn't know about the uh, hospitals, but you're, you're, you're right there at ground zero there. It's illegal. It's not even, um, even under the illegal legalities. It's not legal, and yet it's being done. I mean, here in California, children under age uh, 14, 12, have already received these injections mm -hmm. illegally. There isn't even a, a, a corrupt mandate to allow for it. And after the fact, when the parents have noticed band-aids on the arms of the kids, what, what the hell are you doing? I never gave consent for this. This child was not allowed to receive this shot. The school officials, the nurses, the teachers, whoever it was that gave the shot said, oh, oh it was a mistake, sorry. Kids have gone to Walgreens and CVS to get flu shots and have left with flu shots 
and Wu flu shots. And then when the parent says, why, why did my child get two shots? I just came in for the flu shot. Oh, our mistake. Sorry. Whoops. Whoops. Can't do anything about it now. Can't take it out. So this is already happening. It's, it's only another half step away from being mandated as legal. And you have no recourse now anyway if it happens. What are you going to do? You're going to file a lawsuit? It's over. It's done. This is really frightening, really scary. So, so when are you, mom and dad, going to stand up and say no? When are you going to pull your kids out of the government schools? When are you going to refuse to have your children injected with a toxic substance that provides them no medical benefit for a disease that has no medical effect on them so that you can continue to uh, be in with the government crowd or with your friends or to be able to go to pizza parties uh, with, your, with your kids uh, classmates. When are you going to say no? Here's the one. In your opinion, I my opinion is I think that they planned, they wore games out. Event 201 happened. You can watch it on YouTube. <clears throat> These guys have been planning this out for a while. I think that they had an idea of how people would quote-unquote revolt or get mad or get uppity at X time. Our, I'm kind of on the line thinking that they don't. They didn't think that we would be so laid back, I guess, or maybe it'd be worse. Do you, like I don't know, like Europe in a sense. In the United States, you don't see what's going on like you do Europe or Australia, albeit it's a little bit worse in Australia. Are you surprised on the lack of, uh, I guess you say, being uppity against the powers that be? What's going on, like you see in Canada with the truckers? Are you surprised it's not happening more in the U.S.? Well, I was shocked that. Americans were so compliant with these mandates and guidelines and requests from the very beginning. I, I was completely shocked that businesses would voluntarily close, that parents would voluntarily pull their kids out of school, that uh, Americans who were healthy would voluntarily wear masks outside, walking around driving. by themselves or driving in their cars. I, I couldn't believe it. And I have to say that, that, as a result of what I've seen in the last two years, I have, I have learned more about it, human nature and also about the contemporary state of American culture and psychology than in the last 20 years. And it has not been pretty. But I've always been about what's real and what's truthful. I, I don't want to um, filter what I see, what I hear, what I think, because it makes me comfortable. I would rather deal with the discomfort of the ugliness of the of the reality now mm -hmm. so that I can prepare myself for how to deal with it later because it's not going away. The fact that you stick your head in the sand doesn't change the surroundings. It just changes your view of it. But it also leaves you really vulnerable to attack. And it makes it impossible for you to adequately engage with the environment. So I've been looking at this honestly. I've been looking at it truthfully. I've, I've, I've not looked away from no matter how ugly it's got. And the conclusion that, that I've reached is that Americans have been primed or groomed for this compliance for a very long time. I, didn't know, I did not know it. I was not aware of it. I, I, I admit that I was absolutely shocked when I saw it. But looking back on it now, I understand how it happened. I understand that March virus pandemic, Americans didn't suddenly become wimps and compliant little toadies. They have been heading and trending in that direction for a long time. And it's, it's come from a variety of, of angles. Uh, it's come from, essentially, if you want to put it all together, it's come from the repeated cries of apocalypse that 
media, corporations, and government have been screaming from the rooftops for a number of decades, telling Americans, you need to be afraid, and afraid of fill in the blank, afraid of nuclear apocalypse, afraid of ecological collapse, afraid of rape, afraid of toxic masculinity, afraid of uh, systemic racism, afraid of Donald Trump coming into your home and telling you how to live. These are the fears that you need to be vibrating with all the time. And once people started to vibrate at that frequency, all it took, all it took for the tipping point was for government to say, whoa, look at that. There's a, there's a lethal virus that just flew over here from China and it's going to kill everybody, comma, pause, count to three, unless you do everything that we tell you to. And so people are, they're, they're holding their breath, dead, 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 but, 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 oh, there's a way out. Thank God there's a way out. Please tell me what it is. That's why they became compliant. It's not because suddenly they were told, be scared, do this. If that had happened, without, you know, absent all of this priming, Americans have said, are you kidding? I've got guns. I've got a wife. I've got a husband. I've got kids. I've got a church. I've got my business. I've got my, my private school. I've got a community. I've got my civic organizations. I've got the local police department. I've got a doctor I trust. I've got so much stuff. I'm fine. Leave me alone. That's what it would have happened 30, 40, 50 years ago. It didn't happen this time because that's not the America we live in. Those aren't the Americans that make up our country anymore. We are largely a decadent, compliant, uh, reliant on government, reliant on, on Uber to get our coffee type of people. So we don't even feel that we have the tools, much less the brain power to fight back against a threat. We just rely on the guy up there. And I don't mean Jesus and God. I mean the guy up in the White House and all of his lackeys to keep us safe. That's why we became compliant. And somehow they knew it. I didn't. You'll love this. I drove Uber in Denver for four years. And I refuse to go to McDonald's to pick up anybody's uh, lunch to bring it to their house. But on that, on what you were talking about being uh, conditioned, I would always ask on, t on taking people to the airport, eh, probably 90% of the time, because uh, I would ask anything. They're in my car. We're talking. What do you think about TSA? Oh, we, we got to have it. To, you know, it keeps us safe. You know, it hasn't done anything, though, but it keeps us safe. Yeah, it's something like this that as long as it's there, it's just kind of a nuisance but it keeps us safe. And it would just drive me bonkers because I'm the one that goes through TSA saying, uh-uh, you're going to have to fill me up, guys. I don't want to deal with this. When are we going through the naked? I'm, I'm kind of like Eric Cartman in a sense. I've become a total <laughs> jerk in the TSA line. So you see everyone else. They have no problem. They go through their lips sealed. They take their belts off. They take their shoes off. Please let us go through the porno screen. Arms up. No one says a word. Almost kind of in a parallel like what's going on today. It's actually a really good example. I mean, you remember the shoe bomber from Napa uh -huh. who fancied himself a jihadi and he tried to blow his shoe up on the airplane. He was caught with a lighter trying to light a fuse. And since then, this is now over 20 years. Since then, everyone that goes through TSA who doesn't have pre-check has got to take their shoes off and put them through the x-ray machine because one loon in Napa, some privileged little white boy from, from upper Northern California couldn't figure out his psychological mental illness well enough to be able to resist turning himself into a quasi-terrorist with a failed shoe bomb on an airplane. And ever since then, billions of people have had to take their shoes off. And we still haven't revisited that policy now, 20, 30 years later. And yet, as this is happening, 
and you know this, I mean, the government reports this, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, undercover agents have successfully passed loaded guns through metal detectors at airports throughout the country manned by TSA, which are there to keep us safe. And just recently, I mean, almost every week now, you hear about a citizen whose uh, gun gets through TSA, and then he realizes, oh, darn, I, I didn't even realize I took it, didn't take it out of my bag before I left my house. They don't even check. They don't even notice it. So it's obvious TSA is not keeping us safe. Something's keeping us safe, but it's not TSA. It's maybe luck or God or just the fact there hasn't been a lot of terrorism recently, but it's not TSA. Absolutely not. And yet we still continue to comply. We still continue to accept the sort of bovine nodding of our heads. Yes, yes, it keeps us safe. Removal of our liberties is what the price that we have to pay to keep our safety, et cetera. We don't even question whether this is actually true, whether there's any evidence for this, much less uh, any, any moral argument for it. God forbid we should even ask that question. So we have been living this way for a long time. It's not new. It's not like March 15th came around and all of a sudden all of these rugged individualist Americans suddenly laid down. We've been doing this for a long time. It's just been more subtle. It hasn't been every single day. I mean, we don't go, to, we don't go through TSA five days a week, do we? we? We might go through there for a vacation or a trip here and there, a business travel, or maybe once a week. So it's not something that's really front and center in our minds. We just see it as an inconvenience. But now, now we're wearing masks every single day, all day long, inside and outside of our homes and our businesses and our schools, far more intrusive than TSA. And we're totally fine with it. Final final comment, I guess. Do you see a lot of people uh, talk a big game, but the actual practice, when rubber hits the road, we cower? Do you see a lot of that? or? I have seen it, unfortunately, in my practice in one way. Parents who oppose these shots for their children, who know that they are both unnecessary and unsafe and immoral and illegal and all of that, these parents, when you tell them, you know what, put your money where your mouth is, take your child out of school or write a letter to the school and say, I will not comply with this. And if you force me to have my children injected, I'm gonna take my kids out of the school. I'm going to abandon your school, especially private schools. They get, they get their money from the parents mostly. Very few of these parents have done it. Many of them, most of them have either caved and they've got the shots anyway, and then prayed that the, the child won't, won't be injured or dead from the shot, or they have gone and, and, and obtained these fake vaccine cards because they just don't want to deal with the issue at all. And they say, you know what, it's only going to be another year or two for my daughter. And I just want to get her through the school so she can get the diploma and then she can go to a nice college. And, and I got mine, you get yours, is, is their attitude. And I'm so disgusted by that attitude. It is so um, weak. It is so um, selfish. It is so anti-community. Uh, it shows such a lack of purpose and clarity. It's cowardly, but it's very, very prevalent here in Los Angeles. Because people here in LA, many parents in LA, they do not want to put in the work and the effort and take the risk necessary to stand up for their values and stand up for their kids, which requires either getting a medical exemption, uh, fighting with the school, or taking your kid out of that school and putting him in another school. And that might require moving. 
And none of them want to do that. It's just too much work. So they just get the fake card or they just go along and, and get the shot. And then they say things will get better later. I see this all the time. Kind of like your, what you just said about the, getting your coffee through Uber. It's easy to hit the button. It's just easier. Easy is, is king. Americans and humans, I think, as Dennis Prager often says, uh-huh. they do not crave freedom. That is not instinctual. That is a learned value. What is instinctual is being taken care of. I, I think it was, wasn't Joseph Schumpeter. I think it was uh, him, a Nazi camp. Uh, he, he stayed at a Nazi camp, not voluntarily, obviously. He said, freedom sounds good. Everyone likes the sound of it, the words. But the actual practice of it, nah, we much really don't really care much for. I think that's largely true. Well, Doc, I appreciate it. Air, uh, United States of Fear, it's on Amazon. Do you have a website with that on or is it just yeah. I started to consolidate a lot of my work so that people don't have to remember 16 different social media accounts. And I put everything onto a website, which is called Dissident MD. Dissident MD. And you can see my uh, links to Twitter, Facebook, as long as I'm not canceled. Substack, where I started writing. Every Thursday morning, I publish a, a short essay on a contemporary topic of the day. My first one was on sadism expression of cruelty and humiliation on others for, for perverse pleasure, uh, dependency, uh, masks and child abuse, uh, and then recently um, fantasy versus reality, how the divide is really ripping apart and it's creating an opening for people to come together and push back against the government. And I have a link to my Substack account also called Dissident MD on that website, uh, as well as a link to purchase my book, uh, United States of Fear. Um, the only thing that isn't on dissidentmd.com is uh, my entire podcasting platform, which is different uh, that I do with Dr. Jeff Barkey, and that's called Informed Dissent. Mm-hmm. And the podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms like Apple and, 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 and others. Um, and you can get more information about the podcast and also look at where I've been, some clips on my interviews on Tucker Carlson and Dennis Prager, uh, Alex Jones, uh, Joseph Mercola, et cetera, on informeddissentmedia.com. That's the website for the podcast. And there's tons of great content there for me and Dr. Jeff Barkey. So all you have to remember is informed dissent and dissident MD. Very good. I'll have that underneath in the show notes for everybody to check out. So thank you, Doc. I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Steve. It was fun.